Good morning. I'm going to go ahead and pull up this uh, first slide there. Lesson from the book of Ecclesiastes this morning. Um, title of the lesson, Living with an Open Hand, Ecclesiastes 4, verse 5 and 6. Now, we've been studying Max, and we've been studying Second Samuel, and so I thought I would deviate just a little bit today. And uh, I think there's a real practical lesson um, that's to state the obvious, right? God's Word is practical. Uh, from the book of Ecclesiastes, so we'll look at that. It was read from chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, but we also are going to take a look at, and I put that up there in addition to that, so I was not holding out on you. I was just kind of saving it, right? So uh, Kenny wouldn't steal my thunder. So it's like, <laughs> uh, so we start in chapter 1, and then we'll look kind of at this entire book, and then we'll uh, focus in. Well, that's interesting. I was talking to Mark about getting a new computer. Now you may be getting an idea of why I'm getting a new computer. Just starts doing kind of things. Ecclesiastes is a part of the wisdom literature, and it is instruction in practical living. God desires for all to have wisdom, and Ecclesiastes is really addressing life under the sun. That's the life that we are now living. Now, as I mentioned, that Ecclesiastes is a part of the wisdom literature. We normally think of Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. In the original, they would focus in the Hebrew, original Hebrew Bible. They would focus more in on just Job, and then Proverbs, and then Ecclesiastes. And we had uh, Song of Solomon, we had Psalms in that. Because that's more like poetry, but there's definitely wisdom that is contained in those books also. So that's kind of kind of categorized uh, together. Now, as you think about this and this wisdom literature, I want us to give an overview of the book of Ecclesiastes. And then the second point is a little rest right now, what Ecclesiastes offers. And then the point being living with an open hand. In the book of Proverbs, I'll also add this. Uh, at the beginning of chapter 1, it says, So that man may know wisdom and instruction. And what it goes on to say is that this wisdom and this instruction is offered to everyone. So God is not saying, I'm reserving this just for the intellectual or the elite within society. I want to impart this wisdom so that everyone can have it and apply it to their lives. As you take a look at this wisdom literature, the practical application that we find and the practical application that we'll talk about today is because oftentimes, and see if you don't, understand this to be the way we normally approach Ecclesiastes. You mention that book and people immediately go to the end. And what is it that it says at the end of that book? Fear God, keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty. Or as some translations say, this is the whole of man. Well, that's where the writer's going. But there's a whole lot of other information that comes up before that that's beneficial to us. Now, I want to give you two words as we get into this this morning. 
first word, Hebrew, koalet. And actually, that's the word that is rendered as Kenny read it this morning. It says preacher. Some translations say teacher. I like to use the word teach because I believe that's what he's trying to do. It's not just preaching at someone. It's like he is trying to teach someone. And so I want you to think about that as we go through this this morning, that here you have this person and they're saying, I want to teach you what I learned about life. And then the other word that I want you to notice is, and Kenny read this this morning, and the translation he read from it said, vanity of vanities. Trump's, some translations say empty. Some translations say foolishness. The original word and what it means carries the idea with it of smoke and of vapor. Now, why would he use that word? The reason why the teacher uses that word is he is just very simply saying this. As I looked out at life, what I came to realize It was like I was looking at it through smoke. It was like a vapor. And you know what? I couldn't see it very well. (laughs) It was his observation. This is what I thought at first. But then this is what I came to understand. And also about that, as you think about vapor and smoke, why would he use that word? Is because at first, I couldn't just grasp this thing. I couldn't really get a hold of life. Have you ever heard someone say something like this? I was having a tough time wrapping my mind around it. (laughs) And that's what he's saying. So two words. Here's the teacher. And in the original language, it carries with it this idea of one who assembles. And so he has assembled a group so that he might teach them. And the place where he starts is by saying, when I first looked at life, it was like I was looking at it through smoke. I couldn't see it very well. And I certainly couldn't grasp it very well. And I couldn't wrap my head around it. Some have said that the book of Ecclesiastes, the way it's laid out, in some sense, it's kind of like a sermon. And in a sermon, you have a theme. And then you kind of develop that theme. You have a body to that lesson. And then you reach a conclusion or you make an application. And that's kind of the way the book of Ecclesiastes is laid out. So in verses 1 through 5, he gives the theme. What's the theme of this lesson? Vanity of vanities. As I looked out at life, this made no sense to me. And so that's the beginning point. But we point that out is because this is like a journey that he is going on. And what he is saying is, I want to take you on my journey with me. And the place where I started, it was like I was looking at it through smoke. And this whole life thing, it just didn't make any sense to me. I want you to notice, I'm going to read just part of this. After he says, vanity of vanities, verse 2, verse 3 says, What profit has a man 
from all his labor in which he toils under the sun. One generation passes away and another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. The sun also rises and the sun also goes down and hastens to the place of which it arose. Do you ever see Fiddler on the Roof? Sunrise, sunset. Sunrise, sunset. And he's saying, I look out here at each day. People are going about their work. They're busy in themselves. But what's the point? And he says, and the earth abides forever. So here'd be the simple illustration of that. Let's say a person decided in this life, I want to be a mountain climber. And I'm going to scale all the highest peaks in this world. And let's say that you're able to do that. And at the end of life, you know what's going to happen? You're going to die. He deals with death later on. (laughs) And that mountain is still there. So it's like, what did you conquer? Well, you were busy. But to say that you really conquered something? And he said, when I first looked out at life, that's kind of what I saw. People are busy doing all kinds of things. But what's the point? So what he does is he decides, I've got to search this out. I've got to find out what life is all about. And so the first thing he does is he will set off to personal experience and experiment. And then the next thing he do, he will do is he will kind of observe. So as he sets out at first in chapters one, I do not have time to read all these days. So it's on that outline. If you want to grab one of those back there, or I'll say these, you can write them down as we go along. So the first thing that he does in verses 12 through 18 He talks about seeking after wisdom. He talks about seeking after knowledge. And he says, surely if I apply myself to these things, then I'm going to find out what the point of life is, what the answer to life is. All I need to do is I just need to get enough knowledge. I need to get enough information. And then I'm going to have the answer and I'll be satisfied. And you know what the conclusion is that he reaches? That's vanity of vanities too. And do you want to know why? He said, because... In much knowledge, there's much sorrow. You know what he was saying? I searched the world out. I gained all the knowledge that I can gain, all the wisdom that I can handle, that I can acquire. And what I saw in life, it's a mess out there. And I can't fix it. No matter how much information I have, I can't fix it. So, what's the next step then? He says, then I sought after pleasure. You want to know essentially what he's saying? If you just put that in common language. So I saw the world. I saw it's a really big mess. I can't fix it. So here's the phrase. If you can't beat them, you might as well join them. Isn't that right? And so he said, I sought after pleasure. 
And that's the next thing he did. There is nothing that my eyes saw that I denied myself. <coughs> but you know what he discovered? You chase one thing and you get some pleasure from it. And then you got to go searching for something else. Because pleasure is fleeting. And it doesn't last. And that didn't fix anything. So then the third thing is. It's almost like he pushes the pause button. And it's like, whoa, wait a minute. Why don't I just sit back? And why don't I just watch for a while? And why don't I look? And why don't I observe and figure out what it is that I'm looking at here? So in chapter 3, probably one of the most famous chapters from the book of Ecclesiastes, he starts off and he says, To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. You know what he's saying? Well, as I look out and I see all these events in life, it seems like there's a time for everything. There's a time to be born. There's a time to die. There's a time to weep. There's a time to rejoice. There's a time to throw away. And there's a time together. And so time marches on. And you watch men come and go. And they are engaged in these events over and over and over again. And you know what happens to men? They cease. You know what happens to time? It just keeps marching on. And you see these things again. And so eventually it's like, well, that doesn't really satisfy him either. And so in chapter 4, he looks out and he looks around and he notices something else about society. There's all this oppression. The rich oppress the poor. The powerful oppress the weak. You ever seen anything like that happen? (laughs) He says there's a lot of inequality in the world. But what do you do with it? And he says that also is vanity of vanities. Chapter 5. So he starts to offer some counsel. Chapter 5 and verse 1. Walk prudently when you go to the house of God and draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they do evil. This counsel that he's offering, I want to back up to chapter uh, 4 and verse 9. He says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion, but woe to him as alone and he falls, for he has no one to help him. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. 
but how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. In the midst of all of this that he sees in the world, why does he, why does he say that? Two's better than one. What he's saying is, I see that productivity is good. They can work together. And then in verse 10, what he is saying is, if one falls down, you can help that other one. And then in verse 12 or verse 11, if two lie down together, what he's saying in this life, one can offer another comfort. That's what he's saying. And then in verse 12, he says a three-fold cord is not easily broken. He's been talking about two, two, two. And then he says a three-fold. Why does he say that? Many commentators will suggest that third strand in that cord, that's God. And so in chapter 5, in verse 1, he says, walk prudently when you go to the house of God and draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools. Oftentimes we say in the book of Ecclesiastes, well, when he gets to the end... Then he looks up. That's not exactly what the writer is saying. He's acknowledging God along the way. He's just trying to figure out how this all fits together. He's still in the midst of his journey. He hasn't found all of the answers yet. But he's taking in and he's observing what is going on. So then in chapter 6 through 8, and I'm kind of just skipping forward. What he will talk about next is practical morality in life. Living a moral life. But you know what he'll say about that? He will say, I have seen good men struck down. And I have seen wicked men live a long time. So is that the answer to life? Well, if you just live a good life, if you live a good moral life, that's the answer. And then he's saying, but I saw people living like that and they died young. And then I saw this evil guy and he's just seeming to go along just fine. (laughs) And he's living a long time. Let me ask you honestly, have you ever thought that in, in your life? Where you saw someone and they were cut down early. You say they were such a good person. I don't understand. And then someone else. (laughs) There's a few politicians that come to mind. (laughs) Why are they still here? But they are. And so he's saying... I don't get it. He's not denying, don't get that idea. Because he's already mentioned God. That you should strive to live a morally upright life. That's not what he's saying. What he is saying is, I just don't get it. 
It just doesn't seem quite fair. You ever say that? It just doesn't seem quite fair to me. This right here is the reason why <laughs> that the wisdom literature should be studied collectively. And the reason why I say that is this. If you look at the book of Proverbs, and oftentimes we say in Proverbs, what the writer is offering is general truths. And some people recoil at that. It's like in God's word, you're saying there's general truths? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that's why you need to study the wisdom literature together. Because the writer of Proverbs will offer you a little more security. You do good and good things follow. I like it. That's neat. That's clean. I can put that in a little box and tuck it away and my mind wraps around that real easy. And that's it. So is it good? Is it profitable to live a moral life? Yes, and Proverbs would teach you that. Seek after wisdom. But, so I'm living my very best life that I can live. And bad things happen. Or a person I knew was living the very best life they could live. And bad things happen. So does that mean that Proverbs is not true? No. It means it's true. But what it means is, you need to read the book of Ecclesiastes. <laughs> because the book of Ecclesiastes is going to show you that sometimes bad things happen in life. Even when you're doing the very best you can do. But you don't quit. <clears throat> Do you want to be a part of the problem or do you want to be a part of the solution? <laughs> so in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, I'm going to skip ahead for a moment. Verse 13 and 14. So when he gets to the end, he says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is man's all. Man finally comes to understand how the pieces fit together. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Judgment. Judgment. A lot of times we don't like to talk about that one, do we? <laughs> judgment? But now judgment comes into the picture. Hang on to that a minute. So in this present life, beneath the sun, when I consider it all by itself, I look out there and I think, this doesn't make any sense. But you know what the teacher is saying from the very get-go? 
from the very get-go, he is saying it didn't make any sense because it was like I was looking at it through smoke. I couldn't see it clearly. I need help to see life for what it is. So in chapter 12 at verse 8, he will say, vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. But then he will conclude with verse 13 and 14. So in the final, he talks about judgment. Now think about that a moment. As I say, oftentimes, we mention that word judgment and then we kind of want to shy away. But think of it like this. He has spent this entire book telling us I've been on a search. I've been trying to find out. I've been trying to make sense of it all. And I have tried everything. And then finally he says, God will bring all things into judgment. And what has he told us along the way? What I have seen is there is a lot of injustice that exists in this world. And as I take a look at the world, as I look at it, it's a mess. And I can't fix it. So who's going to fix it? Oh. <coughs> Judgment. You know what I'm saying? There's got to be a time when God's going to set it all right. Can you see that? Now, does that start to change your perspective a little bit? I didn't find the answer in knowledge and wisdom because I just saw more grief. I didn't find it in pleasure because I didn't solve anything. And as I stopped and looked, time just marches on. And I see immorality. I see injustice in the world. But when you go to the house of God, prepare to listen. Don't offer the words of fools. You know what he's saying? You're looking at it through the smoke. You need a little help so you can see it. And one day, all these injustices, all the immorality, and all the things that we see as we look out on the world and we ask ourselves why, I'm telling you, one day, God's going to make it right. He's going to set it right. So he starts in one location. And he takes us on a journey with him. And he comes to a final conclusion. And what he is saying is, the answer to this life is not found in this life. The answer to this life is found beyond. And the one it's found with is with God. 
Job. Remember him? Did he have a little trouble with life? And in fact, did he want to talk to God about it, about how he was running things? (laughs) And God says, where were you when I hung the sun and the moon and the stars? Job, where were you when I told the oceans they can come this far, but no further? The book of Proverbs I want you to live this way. Seek wisdom. The book of Ecclesiastes. But I'm going to tell you the truth about life. And ultimately, I want you to trust me. I'm going to set it right. But there's another point that I want to make. Each day as I face life, I should keep that in mind that there's an answer that is beyond this life. See, because what can happen is in this life, I might be so blessed that I decide to ignore God. You ever seen anybody in that category? It's all good. I've got everything I need. What do I need with God? Well, you just forgot where all those blessings came from. (laughs) Or, have you ever seen anybody in life? Life is hard. And I want to tell you the truth. Life is hard. It can be very hard. And they get discouraged. Can you see that? So as I encounter blessings or I encounter challenges, I need to keep my focus where it's supposed to be, on God. So I never change this slide. So point number two, a little rest right now, okay? (laughs) A little rest right now. As human beings facing life, There's a general tendency to fall into one of two categories when we face life and when we face challenges and so forth. One of the categories that we sometimes see in people when they face challenges and so forth, they may try to escape. Ever seen that happen? I just don't want to deal with this anymore. And I'm telling you, I'm here to tell you I'm not being critical. I'm just trying to identify with the writer of this book. And he's just telling us this is the way life is. And what happens sometimes when people are really confronted with challenges of life and they want to escape, they may use various means of escape. Right? Now sometimes that can be very harmful. Because they can try to medicate themselves. Once again, I'm saying, my point is not to be critical of anybody. My point is to be helpful. And that's what the writer's doing. I talked to my lesson lesson about my wife. I talked to my wife about my lesson. (laughs) A little feedback. She goes, you know, this is kind of depressing. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, hang on. Sometimes you see that people will try to escape. But that can also go to this level, which becomes very much more acceptable. And it's not acceptable. Some people will just say, well, you know what? I'm doing okay. I got some blessings. I got some challenges. I'm doing okay. I don't need God. That's not okay. And so they just want to escape. I just don't want to think about God. And that's just another form of escape. But then, the other category that we sometimes fall into is if we can't escape, then I'm going to control it. I'm taking charge over my life, my work, my family, and everybody I come in contact with. The world will revolve the way I want it to revolve. You understand? Okay, we're good to go. And what he came to realize is he couldn't escape and he couldn't control it. But that's what we try to do. And so this book, it really is unique. Because Coalette, the one who has assembled, he says, I want to teach you something. And I want to teach you about life. I want to teach you about hard knocks, bare knuckle, in your face life. That's what I want to talk to you about. His goal is not to depress us. <laughs> His goal is to humble us. When you go to the house of God, prepare to listen. That's what he's saying. So what he's saying is, I want to help adjust your expectations. I want you to understand what it means to live in this world. You're living in a broken world. You're living among broken people. And oh, by the way, you've got a few cracks yourself. So you need to realize that. So in Ecclesiastes 4, He's going to give some options of how to, how, how to deal with life right now. One approach is, well, I'll just try to check out. I'll escape. The other approach is, I'm going to take control of it. And then there's a third option. What would life look like what would your life look like if you could approach life with open-handed trust and rest? 
What if someone could convince you? Modern day phrase. Let go and let God be in control. What would your life look like? Do you think you could ever live life with an open hand and find trust and rest in that? Chapter 5, I want you to notice verse 15. Chapter 5 at verse 15. As he came from his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came. And he shall take nothing from his labor, which he may carry away in his hand. You know what that's saying? Okay, first we need to get one thing straight. You brought nothing into this world. And when you leave, you're not taking anything with you. You're not in control. You came in empty, you're going to leave the same way. You brought nothing in, you're not going to carry anything out. Verse 18, same chapter, chapter 5. Here is what I have seen. It is good... And fitting for one to eat and to drink and to enjoy the good of all of his labor in which he toils under the sun all the days of his life, which God gives him for his heritage. You know what he's saying? This is something I learned along the way on this journey. Life's troubled, life's hard. But along the way, there's some things you can enjoy. And did you notice what he said? He talks about food. He talks about drink. Let me ask you, did you eat this morning? I had an energy bar on the way, (laughs) but I was thankful to have it. And so it's a little thing, right? Did you have anything to drink? I had coffee this morning. I'm so thankful for coffee. And he said, you ought to, you ought to appreciate that. Verse 19. As for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth and given him power to eat of it, to receive his heritage and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. It's not the answer to life. But along the way, you benefit and you can enjoy this and you can appreciate this. So what he's saying is, since you can't take anything with you, this is what you should do. It's good to enjoy what you have at the time that you have it. We have a modern day phrase for that. You know what it is? You need to learn. You need to learn to live in the moment. You need to be present. What's what's going on every day in your life. 
Did you enjoy some food today? Did you enjoy the comfort of a home? Did you enjoy being able to have a place to lay down and go to sleep last night? Do you have a friend that you talk with? It's a blessing. Enjoy it. Because there's blessings and there's challenges. But along the way, there's things that you can enjoy. He's saying that's your heritage. And that helps us not to lose our focus. Whether it's blessings or whether it's challenges. If we have too many blessings, we can lose our focus where they came from. If we have too many struggles, we can lose our focus. And forget that one day God's going to set it all right. So in chapter 4, and this is where we've been headed for a while now. I want you to read to you from chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. Chapter 4, verse 5. The fool folds his hands and consumes his own flesh. Better a handful, the New King James Version says quietness. Some translations say rest. I like that. Because that's really the understanding. So verse 5. The fool folds his hands and consumes his own flesh. Better a handful with rest. Than both hands full. Together with toil and grasping for the wind. Isn't it interesting. How the Holy Spirit chooses to reveal truth. It's almost like he's saying, let me give you this riddle to think about. It's a four-line poem, and it speaks of three different kinds of hands. And what it's symbolizing is the way that we approach life. The first hand in the Hebrew is Yad. It includes this idea of what he says in verse 5, the fool folds his hands, but the original word, it carries with it your hand, your arm, clear up to your elbow. It's like this. <laughs> you ever seen that? Well, I'm done here. And you fold your arm. Men, have you ever seen your wife do that? <laughs> We're done here. <laughs> See, that's the way it is in life sometimes. We get that point and we just fold our arms and go, I'm done here. I'm checking out. You know what the problem with that is, though? When you check out. You know what happens to a muscle that you do not use? It shrivels, it shrinks, it becomes useless. And that's what he's saying is, that's not an option. You can't just check out. Because you know what happens when people check out? You know what really shrinks? Is your heart. And your mind. Because you're not engaged. 
And we were made to engage. Latter part of verse 6. Then both hands full together with toil and grasping for the wind. You know what that's the image of is, is let's grab a hole like this. Tight grip. And what he's saying is you can't do that either. You wanna know why? Because life has way too many variables for you and way too many variables for me. There's just too many things I cannot control. There's too many people that I cannot control. There's too many X factors. And he's saying you just can't control it all. So you know what the teacher does? Thank goodness he offers a third option. Notice the first part of verse 6. He says it's better with a handful of of rest. The Hebrew word means an open palm. And the image is it's extended. It's like this. So you notice the contrast. You have hands that just check out. You have hands that try to grasp, hold, and take control, and it doesn't work. But then you have a person who's like this. And it's a powerful image. And what it is, is this, it's an admission. And it's an admission that I'm not checking out. And I recognize I can't control everything. What it's saying is, you know the only thing that I can control in this life? It's me. And this is the way I'm going to live my life. Because I can't control it. I can't straighten it all out. But one day, God's going to set it all right. And so I'm engaged with the opportunities that he gives me. But I recognize it's not under my control. So now I'm humble. I'm thankful. And I'm engaged. And I can live in the moment. And it's absolutely amazing. What happens to people when they recognize that? Do you think they can find any rest in that? I think so. So the teacher has been giving us a dose of realism. And that's the purpose that Ecclesiastes serves. And when he begins 
He says it's vanity of vanities. And what he's saying is, this is the way I was looking through at life. It was like I was looking at it through smoke. But you want to know something else? What he does is he leads us to the fact that's the way you've been looking at it too. You really don't see life until you look up to the one that has answers. Because you know what Satan has done to this world and to our lives and to our perspective? You know what he's done? (laughs) He has absolutely smoked it. He has smoked it. So the teacher says, I want to take you along on this journey. And I want you to help you see life the way God wants you to see it. And so now when I read about judgment, I don't dread it. I welcome it. Because that's when God will set it all right. Can we see that? If we can, then this helps us to kind of clear the smoke. (laughs) And we can see other people's lives. We can see our lives. We can see the world the way God wants us to see it. He starts off vanity of vanities. And then he concludes. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole. And that word that is inserted duty there, I wish they just kind of scratched that. (laughs) Because sometimes we just look at that and we say, oh, well, I've got these rules I've got to follow. That's not what he's after. What he's after is to clear our perspective on life. And to help us to see it. The way we should live it. The way we can enjoy it. And know that one day. God's going to make it all right. And I want to be there to enjoy that. That's what he said. Extend the invitation. I've gone long enough. To any and all that are here this morning. If we can help you in any way. Making your relationship right with the Lord. Let us know. While together we stand. While we sing.